did Swedenborg experience feature-length films in the spiritual world over a hundred years before movies were invented? We explored the varieties of creation that Swedenborg witnessed in the afterlife and what it's like to get what you want right now in the NCE Spotlight, your home for fresh insights from the ongoing translation of the New Century edition of Swedenborg's Theological Works. Knock, knock, Jonathan. It's Chelsea Odner here. Curtis here too. Jonathan, um, are you in there? <laughs> hey, Chelsea Odner and Curtis Giles do come in. Have a seat. There he is. There he is. Dr. Jonathan Rose. Have a seat. I always have to push a few books out of the way for you, but... Uh, I, I know you're checking the peephole to see if it's really us. I was going to say, that's why the door <laughs> didn't open so easily. It was the books. I thought it was Jonathan trying to hold us out. <laughs> and as always... We're here to hear what you've come across in your editing work of the New Century Edition as you're combing your way through volume after volume of Secrets of Heaven right now for the NCE. And what are we going to learn about this week? Well, um, sometimes I find passages that are sort of on a theme and so forth. I would say that this week's offering is a little more loosely organized. It it just fits under the heading of facts about heaven. Ooh, nice. Or the the afterlife. And so they're just different kind of random things, but I thought they were they were cool. They were just intriguing. I was very interested to hear your thoughts about them. This first one is quite short, but I find I've been thinking about it quite a lot. So Swedenborg talks about the fact that as you know, when angels are having conversation up in heaven, there's this area that we first go to after we die called the world of spirits. And in that world, you'll see representations. You might see animals or trees or strange phenomena in the sky and so on. Mm -hmm. That will be the embodiment of whatever that discussion or argument or whatever it might be that's going on at a higher level. So Swedenborg here writes, the representative objects that present themselves to spirits come in unbelievable variety, but most of them resemble objects that exist on earth in its three kingdoms. That was it. And so what he means by the three kingdoms, as you know, is the plant, uh, the animal kingdom, plant kingdom, mineral kingdom. That was the way that people right. organized the physical world back then. And so unbelievable variety, but most of them, not all, but most of them resemble things that we've experienced in the three kingdoms of nature. That is funny that it's not... Exactly either one. It could be that these are all creatures you couldn't believe exist, or it could be, no, it's exactly what's on earth, but that he says it's mainly faithful, but there's a little extra. <laughs> that is funny. I didn't think about that, but that's entirely true. You sort of would think, well, we're going to a new world. We're just going to see new stuff, right? And then it's like, well, mostly the same, but mm, there's some weird stuff up there. You know. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, that's what it made me think is that I wonder if this is an accommodation like it's speaking your language. Yeah. You know, I know you grew up with squirrels and trees and or whatever it might be and hmm. and yeah. so let's let's just put it in those terms. And and occasionally we might get a 
unicorn or, or you know something you've never imagined but right like a spirit that is just in the shape of an orb you know or like those exactly. sorts of things <laughs> but there's there's something about those forms that those forms appear throughout creation that they they must be i'm talking about the forms of animals and plants and minerals that they must be these really important forms i've gone back and forth with how i feel about the restraint shown in nature because i love animals and i love the variety of animals and in some ways yeah. there's a ton of different forms but in other ways there's not that many if right. you think about somewhere exotic like let's say the amazon rainforest whoa what kind of animals live there well it's like frogs and snakes and <laughs> and bugs they're just more different colors yeah then you go under underwater though and it gets really weird real quick underwater <laughs> is <laughs> definitely there's a whole new set of forms there yeah and i do love the the way that animals have such intense variety there but then you go to like atlantic ocean and indian ocean and there are these comparable forms right to each other yeah. so i right i've started but i've so I, I go back and forth from feeling like i, I you know just go to any um cartoon and you can see people have in, imagined or any video game people have imagined all these fanciful creatures that are way outside of the spectrum of nature but i wonder if it's sort of like people with really good design sense tend to go for less rather than more. Right. And I wonder yeah, if yeah. if these these kinds of shapes, you know, these your your frogs and your fish and your anemones are the exact right balance of like this is a world in which you just had all kinds of muppet looking extravagant creatures <laughs> would not actually be as powerful as this set of images that we have. It's amazing, too, to think about how all it takes is seeing something and how quickly our perception, our consciousness just like absorbs that and says, oh, OK, yeah, that's within the realm of possibility, you know, once we've experienced it, you know, so it's like even these crazy creatures that you, you know, might see in movies that are just like fanciful or something. It's like, OK, yeah, but now I that that fits, but it didn't fit before you saw it, you know? So it's just interesting how the nature of the mind to expand and include and say, oh, okay, yeah, this is this is a part of the realm of possibility, you know, or something. And I wish I could think of a single ex specific example, but I know I've seen shows that were amazing to me about how in a completely different environment, some island separates from the mainland and then it completely develops its own unique flora and fauna and yet you'll have things that are exactly like something that they know developed completely independently on some other part of the world but like as soon as you see it to, yeah that's like a this uh it is interesting how the some forms are popular Con convergent evolution right exactly yeah. i knew you'd have a technical well it's yeah <laughs> and you you guys know that fossa the fossa is on Madagascar, and mm -hmm. it looks just like a like a little mountain lion or something, but it's not a cat. 
I, oh, I wow. forget what it even is. It might be distantly related to weasels or something, but because yeah. there's there's a shape that's the best shape for a predator and eventually everything's going to approach that shape. Mm. Isn't that amazing? So interesting. So speaking about representations, now, uh, you know, this, this material was written a long time ago, uh, 1751, uh, approximately 200 years before the development of television, <laughs> uh, hundred and whatever it is years before movies and, and that sort of thing. Um, yet listen to this, listen to what Swedenborg says. I cannot, I don't know if it's just because my mind has been so affected by TV and movies and what happens in TV and movies? It's almost like what we were just talking about with the animals. But uh, I can't help but sort of imprint that on this passage, which just fascinates me. Scenes representing what is spiritual and heavenly sometimes occur in a long series lasting an hour or two. <laughs> one after another in an order that is astounding. There are certain communities in which this happens, and I was allowed to stay in them for many months. Sort of like moving to Hollywood or Bollywood or something. I don't know. The representations are such that if I were to narrate and describe the chain of events in just one of them, it would fill many pages. I can't help but think of a script there to continue. <laughs> the scenes are intensely pleasing. Because something new and unexpected always comes next. And this keeps happening until the phenomenon being represented has been brought to perfect completion. When everything is complete, the viewer is able to take it all in at a single glance and at the same time to sense what the individual pieces of it symbolize. This is another way. I don't know what the other way was that he had just mentioned, but this is another way good spirits are introduced into spiritual and heavenly thinking. <laughs> well, it's always a good day when your teacher lets you watch a movie at school, you know? <laughs> right. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Representation day. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it really does. It reminds me of uh, like a really good book is like that, but obviously not in, you know, you're reading words on a page, but you sort of like, once you've read a whole book, it sort of feels like, oh, yeah, okay, it's complete now, or like it really accomplished something, and you can sort of see how all the pieces fit together, and, you know, you sort of are elevated, have some new ideas or something, so it's interesting that it really does seem like he's, you know, there were good books, or sort of the whole idea of the novel, right? Like the, that idea right. as an art form, and then, but then, yeah, Doing it visually, like you're saying, it sounds very much like uh, like movies. And interesting that they're focused on certain spiritual and heavenly qualities, like yeah. like there's some theme or topic, and it's actually serving to introduce people. You know, it's not just mere entertainment, even though entertainment is phenomenally important, but but it actually introduces them into spiritual and heavenly thinking because it's like, oh, I get it. That juxtaposition of this with that and well, that's like, it's kind of showing them how to do that 
kind of thinking. So it kind of opens exciting possibilities in my mind of what, you know, these sort of formats could evolve into over time. Yeah. I mean, I do think that stories, you know, the human experience that like a narrative that is showing you a new quality of, you know, human like transformation and like uh you know changing your mind like spiritual growth like so i feel like those spiritual and heavenly qualities you know if the bible is the story of our rebirth then how these you know i feel like a really good book or really good movie really captures some new nuance about that process of rebirth, you know, even without sort of the technical doctrinal language or anything, but it's just like the real human experience of being reborn. Uh, right. Is something there. A redemption story or a story of a, a character changes or evolves yeah. or solves a problem. And I was also struck uh, by that idea that something new and unexpected always comes up next. Yeah. <laughs> so how do they know what people are expecting and then they disrupt that. So it's oh, like, have yeah. you already watched a hundred of these? And you know that usually, but then it's like, but, aha, we changed it up, you know? And uh, I don't know. That sounds like a, like a troll level. You, you both get the reference, right? <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> You're talking <laughs> about right over our heads. You play Super Mario Maker 2, right? Okay, of there's course. a video game called Super Mario Maker 2, and it gives you all the tools to make your own boards in Mario. So you know Super Mario where you run around and jump and hit, get coins and stuff? Right. Mm -hmm. You get to lay out and design your own levels and then upload them and everyone can play them. There's a whole category of levels called troll levels that are entirely based on subverting your expectations. So oh, for example, if you go fun. up to hit a block that would usually give you a coin, a big fish comes out of it and you die from it. So what you're having <laughs> to do when you play them is try to guess ahead of time, how are they trying to subvert my expectations and then not do the thing that they think you're going to do, but do something else instead. Whoa. <laughs> That's next level. <laughs> it comes straight from the other world. But the, th the main point I want to make here is, are, are you saying that... To learn how to think angelically, people make videos. <laughs> We're why on to why doesn't someone on earth do that? Like make <laughs> videos about how to. I'm telling you, man. It had never occurred to me before. Off the left but eye. You really could do something like that, couldn't you? <laughs> I mean, it's got to be worth a shot. This <laughs> is our origin story. Yeah, I didn't mean to make it that, uh, you know personal or something but, <laughs> but it's a really cool passage and it really also makes me think about just what did they have are they 200 years ahead technologically in the other world you know uh, just really interesting very cool this third passage takes us in a quite a different direction but it still has to do with our circumstances after death and this one just, I don't know, there's some of these, this is why I like doing these uh, podcasts with you because some of these just get stuck in my mind and I keep thinking and thinking and thinking about them. Mm -hmm. And it helps to be able to say it out loud, you know, sort of release it in, into the world because this one just really, really struck me. So to set this up a little bit, uh, Jesus in the New Testament tells his disciples a few different times that they will be powerful in his kingdom. 
They're going to sit on thrones. They're going to judge the 12 tribes of Israel. And they even have arguments among themselves of who's going to get to sit to his right hand and his left in the kingdom because they really have this expectation. And Swedenborg has to has a couple of sort of difficult jobs here, which is number one, he has to explain that's not really how it works. It's much more about humility after death and also to explain why the Lord said that to the disciples was because that was a motivation they could relate to. Otherwise, they'd just take a walk, go back to fishing or something. And and so that was a way of engaging them. So he's trying to do this careful thing. And then he adds a tagline at the end that I think you might find very interesting. It certainly was very interesting to me. So people who know religious concepts, this is one of his favorite kind of themes, people who know religious concepts but do not live a life of love for others cannot see that any pleasure exists besides that which results from supremacy. It monopolizes their minds and constitutes their whole life. Consequently, they're completely unacquainted with the heavenly satisfaction that comes of humility and the desire to help others, that is, with the joy of love for the Lord and charity for their neighbor, and with the bliss and happiness these produce. Mm. For that reason, the Lord accommodated to the disciples' weaknesses when he spoke, so that by this means they could be stirred up and led to learn, teach, and do good. All the same, he teaches what importance and prestige in heaven really are. And I'll hit pause there. Swedenborg has a long list of references at that point to the Bible. And there are passages like um, that those who would be greatest should be least and be as a servant and, you know, this kind of thing. So he's teaching Mm -hmm. what what it really is, is about service. And then he has this little tag at the end. Blew my mind. After death... We do admittedly become relatively great, important, powerful, and imperial. (laughs) Since a single angel is stronger than many thousands of hellish spirits. But the power comes from the Lord, not ourselves. Wow. Wow. So he just did kind of a complicated maneuver there, I would say. That is funny. Yeah, but to get, I mean, to get that power, you can't have that power if you think there's joy and supremacy. Right. That's because right. Because then you won't be, you'll be one of the hellish spirits that an angel is way more powerful than these humble people are way more powerful than. Yes. Job one is get you off the supremacy thing, you know, get you onto the humility and love of service. I love that. I love that juxtaposition. And yet in, in the interest of truth, he has to say, well, admittedly, sure. Yeah, you become like this giant amazingness, you know, but. (laughs) (laughs) Anytime somebody says, there's a time at which you just have to say the truth. If you're going to stand up for religion stuff, you got to say the truth. Jesus is kind of tricking these guys. Mm -hmm. Like he's, 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 he knows they, they are not motivated by a love for the Lord and love for the neighbor. They're motivated by love of self and supremacy. So I'm going to, promise them a bit of supremacy to get them interested enough to go. That's pretty remarkable thing we should be observing. Right. Isn't it? 
And Swedenborg is kind of playing into that hand as well. Like he's maybe a little bit aware of his audience. <laughs> and the fact is, yeah, in one sense, it was true. It was not true that the that the uh, twelve apostles would would sit on the you know thrones and and literally judge, but if they followed the Lord and humbled themselves and got into service, they would become. They would have power over evil spirits and and so on, which you even see in the in the Book of Acts and other things right in the Bible, that Peter kind of becomes more powerful, uh, even while he's still in, right. in this world. You know what? It is just like going from being a kid to being a grown up, because you could say to kids, uh, kids would be like, well, "When you're grown up, can you stay up as late as you want?" Yeah, yes, you right. can. You yes. sure can. Cool. I can't wait to be a grown-up. Uh, now that you're a grown-up, you can stay up as late as you want, but you <laughs> want to get as bed as early as you can. Yeah. <laughs> I was thinking the exact same thing, that like when you are developing, and so what, like that's a great point of like childhood into adulthood, but then I find even just myself in something that one part of myself desires, then I might even get that desire, but the me I have to be to actually receive that thing I wanted is such a new person. It's not the same person as the person who initially <laughs> felt some desire. And so <laughs> it's like you are an entirely new person. So it's that, like you say, has a completely different slate of priorities. I once listened to a book called the, um, it was called uh, Something Something, A Business Fable. And it was a story of a, a fictional story, a fictional account of two rival CEOs in some kind of like relatively boring industry. And one of the, the main character was getting all hot and bothered because this other CEO was doing so much better. His company was doing so much better. And finally, the, the other CEO said, hey, can I have a meeting? And the guy's like, okay, fine, we'll do it. And the, the rival CEO who was doing way better said, um, the reason your company is not succeeding is because you want to be the CEO. And when you're the CEO, actually, what you need to be doing is everything that everyone else doesn't want to do. Like you have to have these hard conversations no one ha wants to do, and you have to take on all these hardships. And that if you just want to be the CEO so you can do what you want, you're, you're going to fail and you shouldn't be in that yeah. position. I think it's it's the same kind of thing to say, yes, angels can be super duper powerful, but if you want to be super duper powerful, you would make a terrible angel, so yes. you can't be one. <laughs> yeah. And I really love the fact, it's, it still kind of boggles my mind, but I love the fact that the Lord figured out, I mean, he's pretty smart, I know, but that How he figured that? out a way that people could be humble and powerful at the same time. I mean, you would think that if you were that powerful, you'd be kind of full of yourself and, mm -hmm. you know, like, I don't know, Marvel Comics or something, you know, where you have this super power and, uh, or, or, I don't know. Uh, but he's figured out a way to have people have these superpowers and be absolutely humble and just devoted to service and loving and just almost laugh at, yes, I, I did just uh, 
you know, remove 10,000 evil spirits who were in the wrong place or, or something you know, with yeah. a look of my eye. But uh, can you believe that? You know, it was amazing. I think it's the um, most profound concept in inter- interpersonal relations that Swedenborg introduces, the idea of the, the credit vacuum and the power vacuum. Yeah. Because it's actually all the Lord's power. I just think no, no other philosophy that I know of deals with that. Like, how would you in any kind of ultimate spiritual setting, how do you deal with the differences in power people have and who who's has the most power and is there are there people that are on a different tier or something that come way, way out of left field with this idea that mm. absolutely none of the stuff that's yours is yours. It just it's it's shocking and baffling at first, but it solves every problem. Yep. Awesome. That's pretty good. Yeah, and it is just, you know, that is the spiritual reality. So it's like, even if Swedenborg maybe puts his finger on it in a way, and yet it's just so true that that is what has been being lived out, you know, for centuries of any true sort of spiritual teacher. You know, if you have Jesus or Buddha or, you know, like any of these people, it's like they are, that is the state that they reach you know, is this complete humility and love of service. And yet they present this power that is like so humbling. Yeah, I think Swedenborg was quite crushed by, you know, his spiritual awakening had a lot of kind of crushing experiences in it. Yeah. I think he was reduced to just... um nothing in a way and rebuilt mm-hmm. but it makes it it makes that true the idea that nobody's better than anyone else becomes true because even if spiritual teacher x is all humble and stuff i still as regular person curtis say well like that that how is that person not better than me like they they've influenced yeah. people for thousands of years. They, they had this amazing, profound stuff come out of them. Like, I get we're all God's children, but wow, that's like the overachiever child. <laughs> like, wh- how are we really all not better than each other? It's because that person of themselves would produce nothing but evil and falsity, but it was God's plan and God's initiative and God doing the fighting to accomplish that good thing through that person. And only only through that person, because it would be the best for the rest of us, that that happened. That even even that it even ties up. It's like the main boss is defeated, and but even all the little henchmen, you just round them up one by one. <laughs> That's so great. Ah, uh, well, these have been some phenomenal facts about heaven. Thank you so much, Jonathan. I loved hearing you to just uh, play with these passages. So that was really really interesting to me. So great. Well, I can't wait till we can do it again next time. We won't tell you when we're coming. (laughs) Okay, good. (laughs) I hope your heart was uplifted and your mind inspired by this week's NCE Spotlight. Subscribe to the Inside Off the Left Eye podcast to tap into this stream of fresh insights and join us on our excursions into the historical context of Swedenborg's life and works. All passages quoted in this episode are sneak peeks from upcoming volumes of the New Century Edition translation of Secrets of Heaven. If you've benefited from the work of the Swedenborg Foundation through Off the Left Eye and the New Century Edition, consider supporting us with a donation. 
We are a nonprofit and depend on the support of our donors. To give, go to swedenborg.com slash donate. And thank you for listening. Thank you.